the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Welcome back, everybody. Hour two of the Pastor Scott Show Always good to be with you. We're together each and every day from 3 to 5 right here. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. I have a guest with us, and he just uh, put out a book. It's called The Guide, Survival, Warfighting, and Peacemating. Greg Monk is a combat-promoted Marine who served his country in the Gulf War, and he went on to become uh, the Asia-Pacific Regional Manager at QLogic. Regional Manager or Assistant to the Regional Manager? I'm just kidding. Uh, he is he is a leader. He's the co-founder and pastor of Crossline Community Church in Laguna Hills, California. Uh, Greg, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Oh, it's so good to be here, Pastor Scott. Uh, great to have you. Are you the regional manager or assistant to the regional manager? <laughs> no, I was the I was the regional manager. Right. Just a little joke uh, for office fans yeah. out there. Well, Greg, thanks Absolutely. for yeah, thanks for joining me on the show today. Hey, you've got a a story that takes you, you're taking a look at your life and different things that you've done, different places where the Lord has brought you, and you've put it in different categories, an era of survival, an era of war fighting, an era of peacemaking. Uh, let's talk about that. You know, I think yeah. that it's an interesting thing to take a, for people to look back on their life, even before they were Christians, and go, well, what was God doing in my life at that period of time? So why, yes. don't, why don't we do that? Uh, where did you begin? the era of survival. Yeah, well, um, my family, we moved out here from California, uh, from Cleveland, Ohio to Cleveland. I mean, from Cleveland to uh, California in 1974. And so I grew up in Fountain Valley, mm. uh, right next to Huntington Beach. Yeah. And all-American family. My dad was in sales for Swing Line Corporation. And, uh, but my dad also was an alcoholic at the time. And, uh, and as I got older, his uh, alcohol, alcoholism and his addiction got worse and worse. And so his uh, from alcohol, he went to smoking pot. And from marijuana, he went to cocaine. And from cocaine, he went to freebasing and then went to heroin. And so that progression, uh, as he his, his addictions got worse, so did the, the trauma on the family. And I had three brothers and my mom and... It just it it was a chaotic situation. He had twelve accounts of drunk driving. Twelve he was arrested and put in jail. How does that twelve? Wow! I don't know how it's possible. Uh, how is that even yeah. possible? This is in the nineteen what seventies and eighties. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, it was. A, this was in the se- yeah, late seventies and early eighties. Yeah. So okay. And he had, um, and then when he got into drugs, he had drug convictions, and we didn't have enough money to you know to survive and so we would get evicted so we moved to four different houses in a period of like 10 years and my mom you know had to work full-time to, to support us but just 
some of the obviously the first person I really fought with, so he wouldn't drive drunk, was my dad. Mm. And I was, you know, the first person really hit when I was 15. Before that, uh, the first time I had a shotgun put to my head, which sounds crazy, was when my dad stole a Porsche from his drug dealing friend and had it, and he had a friend at the house to protect us. And uh, I got up in the middle of the night uh, to go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, I startled, I startled the guy on the couch to protect us. I didn't even know he was there. And he got up, ran to me, shotgun, cocked it, side of the head, against the wall. And then he realized it was me, and, at the, and I went to the bathroom on myself and went back to my room and shut the door and put the toy box in front of the door and, <laughs> and just, uh, just stayed awake until the sun came up. And I bet you did. I bet and, that's an experience that you remember every moment of, every footstep. Oh. It's just, it's just one of those, it's just, you know, the first time I ever did cocaine was with my dad when I was, I was in seventh grade. And Mm. it just, you know, to have an adult lead someone in that direction, it's just, it's just, it's unthinkable. You know, as you know, now I think about my life now, it's with five kids, but it just was, I could go on and on about just the, the sad yeah, it is sad. It, but you know what? There's a lot of people listening who can relate in different ways. You know, it's something yeah. that that happens, and I think it's important. And I'm grateful that you're you're telling your story. So this is an era of survival, and obviously, you were in danger. Yeah, yeah, I, I was, and it was, you know, and and it was interesting. Is you know, my mom was more reserved and um, led, showed her love by action, and my dad was more exuberant and, and loving, but his addictions totally made him a different person. Right. And yeah. so it, yeah, it was, it just really, it was really tragic. And then Christian home. And so I started to go down the path, not drugs, but you know, when, when I got to high school, it became about the parties and drinking and girls. And, and I was, I, football was my outlet, really football is all I had. And, um, the first real experience that I had where, I talked about it with somebody else was we were, I was weightlifting with a bunch of guys uh, from my team. I thought about high school and uh, someone played a joke and I got hurt in that joke. And when I got hurt, I, I, I exploded. I just, I broke down emotionally and I, I was more frustrated and angry than usual. And I I used to get fight. I was a nice guy, but I always got fights and, Mm. you know, know, didn't mess around. Um, uh, you know, people really didn't mess around with me. And so I, I, but at that, this moment I broke down and I was really angry. And I broke down. The coaches pulled me into the equipment room and it was coach Mike Milner. And I remember him saying to me like, Greg, what's going on? And I go, you know, you know, stupid, whatever. And he did this. And he's like, no, it's not about that. What's going on. And I just, I just gave him a litany of, you know, yeah. my dad is an addict. He's in and out of jail. In jail. We can't, I can't afford football. I have to, you know, I have to work full time to pay for money. You know? And at that time, you know, um, my girlfriend was pregnant and I, and I just wanted, I just told her, I told him, and I don't know if I want to live anymore. So it was the first time that I had spoken words of the pain I was experiencing to somebody else, yeah. to another adult, Yeah, you know, and it, uh, it was, it was, that really was helpful to me at that time, at that moment. And you were 15 or so, 16? Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. When that happened. Yeah. So 15, yeah. your, your girlfriend's pregnant yeah. at the time. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a long time to hold that in. Yeah, it was, it was, if it just, 
because, you know, my mom, we came from Cleveland, you know, we're at the time preppy, you know, and her attitude was, hey, we're, we're not, we don't talk about our problems. Everybody's got problems. We don't talk about them. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's how I grew up and I just kept it, I kept it to myself. And, you know, some of my close friends heard some stuff as it would leak out, but, yeah. you know, my friends became my family. I, I spent my time at friends' houses. I spent my time at, you know, with their families, eating dinner, staying the night, and people were just gracious, and they took, you know, they allowed me into their homes, and were so, so wonderful. And they, were they were they good friends to you, Greg? I mean, sometimes our friends become our family, but they're also suffering and getting us into not the right thing. Yeah, yeah, I had a, you know, I I had because I had I was around, um, I had sports, you know, it keeps you a little more grounded. Mm-hmm. I, I even though I, you know, I straight off in different areas I shouldn't have. You know, for the most part, I had guys that were, you know, looking to be better than, you know, their situations at home. And so, and a lot of their situations at home were way better than mine. And so it was a sanctuary for me. I had friends that were really caring and really, really took care of me. And um, Reza, Reza Mekizadeh and Brian Linskis and my yeah. friend Tina Kondo and Julie. And so, yeah, so many that That's- just really helped me. That's good. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Greg Monk. He's the author of The Guide. Jarhead Pastor and Author is how uh, your your book titles you. And uh, you've had uh, different places in your life, uh, different growth in your life. And we're talking about the survival stage. So you're in high school and you are uh, dealing with so much at home. And uh, where did things go from there? Yeah, well... uh... So things progressed, and as, as my dad's addiction got worse, he spent uh, – so he would come home. He would be gone longer since, mm-hmm. and he would come home, recuperate, and then be gone. So, you know, uh, one week turned into two weeks, three weeks, a month, then back, and then all of a sudden he was gone at one time. And uh, when I was a senior in high school, a friend joined the Marine Corps, and I went to the recruiting station with him, and uh, we, I wound up signing up on the buddy program to go with him. Ah, that's good. Do you remember? Do you remember the name of your recruiter that day? No, I don't. <laughs> See, I, 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 I've I, always I, wondered because I almost I almost went to the Marines and my recruiter was Sergeant Link. I'll never forget him. <laughs> well, I don't, uh, what I do remember is I asked him, "Hey, is there any conflicts in the war at this time? You know, is, do you see anything coming up?" And he's like, "No, nothing's going on." <laughs> and so, and this was uh, what year? About 1980, uh, 1990, maybe. Yeah, it was eighty-eight actually. Eighty-eight. I okay. I was just, uh, yeah. Spring of eighty-eight. Uh, I, and I, we just watched Full Metal Jacket, so that kind of shows you my little my frame of my frame of mind at the time. A little little crazy, yeah. <laughs> to watch Full Metal Jacket and then join the Marine Corps, right? So, right. I bet that uh, movie yeah. recruited quite a few more people than Sergeant Link. <laughs> yes, and so I joined the Marine Corps, and then uh, we weren't we were supposed to go together in March of '89, but uh, my friend Adam didn't want to wait, and he left, and I played a. a I played football at Orange Coast College, and at that time, my dad was gone, and we had to we had to vacate the house, and my mom moved back east to Ohio, and so I went to boot camp in March of '89, and then my brother was getting married in June, so I was going to miss his his wedding, yeah, which was a bummer, yeah. But also, my dad wasn't around. Now was he? So was he just? Uh, was there a divorce, or did he pass away, or go to prison, or what happened? No, no, my he just disappeared, and we oh. didn't know where he was. Okay, but where he was was running. He was running drugs, but first for three months he was running drugs, and then another uh, three months he was just a, a homeless person shooting up heroin in mm-hmm. Santa Ana. Yeah. So, but we didn't know where he was at the time, so he was just gone. And then he missed his, you know, his first son's wedding. My brother Rob, he, 
he missed that wedding and that I, I went to boot camp at, this, at that same time. Yeah. And so I go to boot camp and then I get out and I'm stationed here at Pendleton and I'm staying with friends down here and I, and um, I meet a girl who's beautiful and uh, she, I, we were dating and then all of a sudden she goes to a Monday night Bible study at Calvary Chapel and then tells me that uh, uh, I can't stay at her house anymore and we can't have sex anymore and <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. How did you respond to that? I was just like, what do you mean? I didn't understand it. I had no, I, when I met her, she, uh, uh, she hadn't been walking with the Lord. And I, we, I met her in a time when I was, you know, in, in the Marine Corps and try to start this new life in the Marines. And, and so I, I didn't have a context for it. And so when, when she presented that with me, I was like, oh, really? And then, so I was just, I was more hurt that I couldn't stay there anymore. Uh, at her place, I'd have to just stay on base. Yeah. But, and then, just in that time frame, the Gulf War broke out. I- Iraq invaded Kuwait. All right. So and this so, is nineteen yeah. nineteen ninety is when that happened. I think the nineteen ninety one was the war. Yeah. August of nineteen ninety, and then a series of events took place. My brother Rob was at a funeral and felt the pastor was talking directly to him, and he gave his life to Christ. And then Kimberly was at the Monday Bible study with Greg Laurie. And then all of a sudden, there's the first Summer Harvest Crusade happening at the Pacific Amphitheater that year in August. And so my brother Rob says, hey, Greg, you want to go to this Harvest Crusade thing? And I'm like, and at that time, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to war. I might die. So the fear of death really led me to, to saying yes to going to the Harvest Crusade. And then in terms of like, oh, that's that guy on Monday night I told you about. And you're going to love him. And so here I am, this, you know, 20-year-old, mad-at-the-world kid who goes to the Harvest Crusade. And it was five nights that first night at the Pacific Amphitheater. So, What did you hear at the Harvest Crusade that really impacted you? Like, what was the thing that impacted you that time you went? Well, you know, I went, it was uh, from Sunday to Thursday, and I went every night. And every night, I what impacted me was just, I, I loved how Greg would associate everything with current events. Yeah. And... And that really impacted me. And then I just remember just the challenge of that, you know, you need to surrender your life to God. And I'm, and every night I battled with, I, I, every night I, I heard the message, I saw people go forward, and I just resisted. I had every reason, every night was a different excuse. One night it was my pride, and the other night I, I was, it was my logic. I'm too smart for this. Why is, why, why is this, and why is that in the world? And another night it was, it was my, you know, um, that how can God love me? I don't deserve God's love. And so every night I, I didn't go forward. And every night I could tell my friend, my Kimberly and uh, my brother and were, they're disappointed. But then that last, and then they, keep, they kept on saying, you, well, do you want to go back? And but something was drawing me back. So I said, yes. And so, so I went back every night. And then Thursday night, that last night, I was sitting there listening to Greg and just heard just the message of, and he said two things that night. He said, one, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. He wants to have one with you. And then he said, he goes, hey, if you believe in, in, in that Jesus that was in, in that nativity scene, well, that Jesus in nativity, he grew up, and he walked this earth, and, he, and he, he, he paid a debt that he didn't know, and he died for your sins. And, um, and so it just was just tremendous that 
I was just sitting there and just overwhelmed by all the excuses I had that night and yeah. every night. And then it just came to fruition and I just surrendered all. And it was all, what was going through my mind is all my anger towards my father, all, all, of, all of my, all of the issues that in my life. And, and then the one thing that was, I always was, was keeping me back was all those excuses were, can I really count on God? Can I really trust him? Is he going to let me down just like everyone else has? And that was the biggest, all those excuses led, led, led to that. You know, I think uh, that the, the yeah. simple gospel message, it's important for people to hear that because I think we make it so complicated. And what right. you were able to hear, this the simple gospel message, that kid grew up and he died for your sins. God has power through that and it cuts through all the stuff. I'm that's such a great part of your story, Greg. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Greg Monk, and uh, Greg is the uh, lead pastor and co-founder of Crossline Community Church in Laguna Hills, and he also does traveling speaking for uh, the Guide Soldier Foundation and other things. So where did it go from there? So you ended up going to the Gulf War, and this is the 1991 uh, Gulf War. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yes, it was. It was the, the Gulf War. Yeah, so I, I, I had that experience uh, where, you know, I, I surrendered my life to Christ, and it's all new to me. And then all of a sudden, you know, I say goodbye. To, we say goodbye a bunch of times. And I wind up leaving on December 1st, 1990, and I, out of Carlsbad, uh, not out of Carlsbad, sorry, out of um, San Diego Bay. And we took a ship. I was on a, uh, uh, the USS Juno, and we went over there. So my first cruise was on this metal ship. And uh, we stopped in Hawaii, we stopped in the Philippines, and we did an operation in Oman. And all of a sudden, I'm, uh, I was part of the left hook that we weren't, we were, did an operation on Oman, beat on the, the beaches of Oman, and it was, it was televised and the news was there to uh, draw troops, uh, the Iraqi troops, on the Kuwaiti beach because they thought we were going to do a beach landing. And then we went ahead and we went ahead and um, docked, and then we went uh, ashore, and we did the famous left hook and came around through Saudi Arabia. Yeah, if you study that war, and maybe not everybody listening, um, it was it was incredible, I think, to watch that on TV, you know, coming from our perspective. And and you had uh, Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf on the TV and, and so much stuff, and it was relatively quickly won, uh, at least as far as achieving the objective that uh, President uh, Bush at the time. This is the first President Bush put put out. In your experience, yeah. though, being actually on the ground, you were in jeopardy. You were in danger, and there were things that you experienced, uh, no doubt, that are not things that people ought to experience. Can you tell us about that? And is this this is the war fighting stage of your your life? You would call it. Yeah, this is uh, it, it, that that part of it was just that experience and and being a part of that and. Then, you know, when you're loading, you have an ammo can and you're loading up your rounds because you know the next day you're going to go ashore yeah. and you are going to be a part of a, a, a ground assault uh, and going into Kuwait. It just, it puts a, that night, it puts that perspective. So here, here I am in this new faith. And, you know, it's true what they say, you know, there, there's no atheists in foxholes. Yeah. And I, I, I remember us loading up our magazines and everyone singing Amazing Grace. Everyone, mm. the whole huh. the whole unit of, you know, there's 50 guys sleeping in small quarters, and we're all singing Amazing Grace. And it, 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 it was, it's moving. And it just, 
and but you're getting ready to go to fight in combat, and you you um, you're ready, you're prepared, and so that next day when we went ashore, uh, you know, no, you know, no one's really prepared for what they're about to see, you know, and experience in those situations. That's and right. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, Greg, I got to take a break here in a minute, and uh, can you stay over uh, through the break? Absolutely. All right. So I want uh, to hear more about what happened next in your story. My guest is Greg Monk, and he has a new book. It's called The Guide, Survival, Warfighting, and Peacemaking. And those different stages of how God has led his life. So we're in the warfighting stage of your story. And if you want to call and talk with Greg, you can give us a call right now. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I know that the story relates to so many people in different levels. We have a lot of people listening who are in military, who served maybe in that war, but also lots of people who served in uh in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, the next time we went over there. So um, you're speaking to a lot of people, Greg. Thanks for being with me. And we'll be right back with Greg Monk as the Thursday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. I am with our guest, Greg Monk. He is the lead pastor and co-founder of Crossline Community Church in Laguna Hills. And he also has put out a new book about his life and his experience and his coming to faith. Uh, it's called The Guide, Survival, Warfighting, and Peacemaking. And we're going through those stages of his life together, survival and warfighting. And at this stage in his life, he is an, in the Gulf War in 1991 and about to uh, invade. Did you go into Kuwait or Iraq? Where did you go? Uh, Kuwait. You went into Kuwait. All right. So at this point in your life, we left and uh, you were just about to go in and your entire uh, unit was singing uh, Amazing Grace. (laughs) Yeah, we're in that bunk. And then so that that next morning we wake up and uh, we 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 go into uh, Saudi Arabia and then we do a right hook into Kuwait. And it's the, uh, you know, the, the famous right hook that Schwarzkopf did and where I was a part of that. And then uh, immediately there was just hundreds and hundreds of, of prisoners of war. Hmm. And, uh, and we would do interrogations on, prisoner, on the prisoners. And so it was, uh, that was interesting, never doing that before. And they were just so terrified. They, there was a rumor amongst uh, the Iraqi army that Marines killed their mothers to, to get in the Marine Corps, you know, which is oh, not true. Right. But that was, <laughs> That's what they were the told, huh? So when, yeah, and so when we were interrogating them, they were terrified. Yeah, and, yeah. And then, so we, I was part of RLT-5, uh, Regional Landing Team 5, that did clearing operations uh, there in the Al-Wafar Forest. Yeah. And it, we did clearing operations, and, uh, uh, you know, um, we were, we clear out uh, the existing Iraqi troops that were there, and we came across uh, different uh, times, altercations with them, and yeah. we— also received fire, and then um, we were getting some stray mortar fire from right. some stray Iraqis, and then I wind up calling, uh, calling in and changing our location from calling off the lieutenant's coordinates and giving another coordinates, and yeah. uh, I was. Uh, so you were you were in the thick that, of all of that. How is this affecting yeah. you spiritually at this point? It, you just you know, became a Christian uh, the previous summer, so you're new in the faith. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was doing my faith. It just it. I didn't have a chance to just talk about some of the confidence that I got when I left when I said goodbye to Kimberly, but it, it there was just this sense I can't I can't explain it just assurance that I'd never had and being in combat the the feeling you have is it's like seeing a really bad accident that feeling you get when you drive by an accident or see something like that and then playing in the biggest game of your life being in the biggest event of your life that's that the at the adrenaline with fear it's it's just that that's that's what combat feels like but then in that there's just this you know they train us for a certain job there's confidence in that but then there was this assurance that I had that I never had before and that was this new faith, this newfound faith. And even seeing the traumatic things, it just, uh, it, um, it was hard. It was hard to see that stuff and uh, to process it. But, you, you know, you have a mission at the time, and you focus on that, and you have to move forward. And I was a part of Graves and Registration, not only for yeah. our own troops, but also for helping the Iraqis pick up their dead. As you said, it was a quick war. We moved very quickly. It was over within a few days when we started. Now, there's things going on, as you described, that are a part of war that affects people significantly. You know, the the dead, of course, and it's Mm -hmm. not like TV or the movies. It's different. No, it's not. Yeah, it affects it. Yeah. How did that affect you? Yeah, it it, – like I said, at the time, I I didn't spend a lot of time processing it. I just – it was horrific, Mm -hmm. and it it just – uh, you you kind of you, you stuff it away you put yeah. it away and you move on to what your, you your job is there to do so so your mission becomes uh, the focus point to move on you don't you don't you don't think about that you 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 save it for later right to talk about that's right and so yeah and I experienced that so that was that was really difficult but we moved quickly we finished uh, that 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 combat experience I was there for another month in country and then we wound up going back on ship. And then we were the last sustaining force and uh, to leave the Gulf War. But on the way home, or on the way home, we, we went back the same way we came. We stopped in Bangladesh because there was a super cyclone that hit Bangladesh at the time. Uh, and it was one of the fifth, fifth worst in history. And it killed 150,000 people and a million cattle and livestock. Wow. And, it, that's, and we got there two weeks after it happened. And it, it was just horrific yeah what that was almost as bad or worse than what i experienced in the war but it was a different operation i was they called us angels from the sea because we came to give help and aid and food and support for two weeks while on the way home from the gulf war so yeah. it was quite quite an experience moving experience and quite a difference from freeing the um kuwaiti people from iraqis to uh helping the bangladesh people with hope and food and love you know, just it's just a different contrast there. But, you know, yeah. Marines so, can be your best friends or your worst enemy. That's right. Well, thank you for doing that and for your service. So as time goes on, you obviously uh, you get out of the Marines eventually. You married uh, Kimbrey. Yeah, I did. I got I got back from the, the Gulf War and we got married. And and right away, uh, the pastor that was counseling us um, said, uh, hey, do you want to come be a counselor up at Christian camp? And I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> I'm still, you got the yeah. wrong guy. I might cuss at the kids. Right. You know, you know and I remember him saying, it's only through the blood of Jesus that any of us are worthy. So why don't you come? Mm. And so I did. I did. I went and um, I just had a tremendous time. It was a, it was a Church of the Nazarene uh, camp. So they had a bunch of smaller churches that were there. And um, 
and I they stuck me in a kid, I mean a cabin with all these inner city kids, kids from Maywood and from Compton and from Long Beach, and so here, so here I am with all these you know inner city kids and all different colors and stripes, and it was just it, it was awesome. But you know what? My story was their story. Right. We had the same story because right. they had situations where their father had abandoned them, and I had a situation where my father abandoned me, and so there was this instant bond of just of of all that took place you know in, in my life and and we instantly connected and then it was just they were terrified that I, they had a combat marine as their counselor but i i cut my teeth in ministry uh you know i started there at that camp and then i remember uh just dan asked me to give a testimony at the camp and i said yes and i did it and and then I just remember leaving that camp and being used by God for the first time. And that's one of those and, things that I think people yeah. hearing your story, it's amazing, but we see this in our lives, that God is preparing us for something even through our hardest times and the dif- yes. most difficult things. Yes. Yeah. So Amen. now it's, it's, yeah. Now you're a pastor, and uh, yep. you, co- you co-founded uh, your church. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, I got in the ring. I, I, so I do that camp, and then— after that, I start going to Bible college at night. I'm a pastor in uh, a youth. Pa- I become a youth pastor. I go to college at night for nine years. I start having kids. We have five kids. I'm, I get out of the Marine Corps. I'm the Asia Pacific regional manager, doing selling semiconductors in Asia, really successful. And then um, I'm doing ministry, and then I become the director of that camp eventually over time. And then I, a youth pastor, and then uh, a friend of mine, JP Jones. Uh, I was at a retreat, and he said, all of us need a Paul or Timothy in our life. And I had lots of uh, Timothys that I was discipling, but I didn't have a lot of Pauls. And so I wrote his name down, huh. and I really didn't know him. I just knew him briefly. And the next year, uh, he asked me to come on staff uh, at at, uh, at his church that I was at to be an associate men's pastor. And I left a, a really well-paying semiconductor technology job to go to full-time ministry that paid uh, two-thirds less. Yeah, I was about to say, two, <laughs> that yeah. paid, that's the fact that it even paid, you know, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I said yes to that, and we were there uh, for, that was back in 2001 mm-hmm. uh, that I did that. And then in 2005, uh, we started Crossline Church together. Yeah. We met at Capovalle High School, and now here, 18 years later, um, it's just been tremendous uh, to see thousands of people come to Christ and be baptized and just just a tremendous opportunity. Yeah, it's and there's so much in between there, but there's so much there in your story and uh your church at uh Christline there has a program here on KKLA called Truth That Changes Lives with JP Jones. Uh you're yes. you're Paul uh and uh, we're glad to have you as part of our family here. So you wrote a book. You you took your story and you wrote a book, The Guide to Survival, Warfighting and Peacemaking. Who's this book for? Um this this book is for anyone. I wrote the book for the non-Christian. I wrote the book. It's raw and real, and the stories as it happened. You know, um, there's a little filter. I had to filter a little bit because you know I didn't want to offend people. But I wrote <laughs> it for you, the you can't have all the marine language in there. Yeah, well, the book. You know, it's hard to write what a drone instructor says without you know. So there's a little right. you know, ask, the name with the asterisk, but uh, it's just it uh, it's. It's just um, just incredible to and cathartic to, to put that down, you know, on 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 paper and and just and just to see what what has happened, um, you know, since then. Yeah. Since since 
since, since writing that book. And, and so and for people who, who might want to read your book, it's yeah. people who uh, maybe who uh, you said it's for the non-Christians. So it's people who maybe yeah. felt the way you felt and have not had the best upbringing. Yeah. So when I when I wrote the book, I wrote it for the audience of I was thinking, you know, my story is my story. And so it's a Christian book in the fact that I come to Christ and my life was transformed by Christ in an incredible way. And, um, and so, but when I was writing the book, I was writing that book for that, for that guy that's just like me, you know, for that person that is, is and maybe grew up in a situation that was difficult and doesn't trust anybody, that doesn't believe that God, there is a God, doesn't believe that God can, that loves them, or that they don't think they can count on anybody in their, in, in, in their life. And I'm here to tell you this, my story is here to say that. God loves you, and He wants to have a relationship with you, and He wants to do an incredible work in your life, and you can lean on Him, and you can trust Him, and He will transform your life. It's not perfect, but I tell you what, it's way better than what I, was, what I had before. So that's what I wrote it for, for someone that is searching for truth and life and the meaning of life. You want to know what the meaning of life is? It's in the book. It's right there in the in the book. Well, I appreciate you coming on and telling your story, and people can get the book. Um, it's at the website of the book is called Order the Guide. Uh, the book is called The Guide: Survival, Warfighting, and Peacemaking by Greg Monk M U N C K, and you can get it at also at gregmonk.net. Yes, sir. Is that right? So ordertheguide.com, probably the best place to go get the book and check it out. There's links to it for there. Uh, you're going to find it to be a very raw and real book about his story. And there's somebody in your life who is going to benefit from this book and from Greg's story. Greg, thanks for coming on the Pastor Scott Show today. No, it's my pleasure. My honor. All right. And God bless you and your family. And thanks for all that you have done and all that you're doing uh, for the glory of God. Uh, God bless you. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome, Pastor. All right, Pastor Greg Monk, and uh, the book, once again, is called The Guide, Survival, Warfighting, Peacemaking, and uh, you can get it uh, by going to gregmonk.net, M-U-N-C-K, that's his name, or just go to ordertheguide.com, ordertheguide.com. All right, this is Pastor Scott's show. We will return as the Thursday edition of the Pastor Scott show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. We're here for one simple reason. President Biden needs to consider using the 14th Amendment uh, if necessary. The entire GOP debt ceiling negotiation is a sad charade. And that's exactly what's wrong about what's wrong in Washington. We're playing with the livelihoods of millions just so the GOP can just turn the screws against uh, hungry Americans. This is the whole reason why the 14th Amendment exists. We need to be prepared to be using it. Again, remember, say that again. We must be prepared to, in order to use it. And we cannot let reckless Republicans hold the economy as a hostage. And an unelected Supreme Court justice will try to blow up our economy. That's on them if they have to judge on that. So, thank you. That is Senator John Fetterman from Pennsylvania explaining that uh, there should not be any negotiations on the raising the debt ceiling. And that argument that's been going on for uh, many years and many different times over the past couple of decades 
And I think you're seeing, uh, if you follow the news, welcome back to the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Personally, I think most of it's theater because they're going to eventually come to some agreement. And President Biden will give a little bit on the cuts probably, and the Republican Congress will uh, not ask for as many cuts as they're asking for. They're not really asking for many cuts. What they're asking for is a cut in the proposed spending over the next several years. Uh, so it's not spending that we've done. And they are asking to go back to uh, 2021 levels of this is where maybe some of the cuts would be because 2022 and 2021, uh, we've increased spending dramatically. Whenever you hear the president say that he's reduced the the deficit by $1.7 trillion, that number is true, except that it's not true if you go back to 2019. What's happened is he has stopped all the COVID spending that we were doing, the extra COVID spending, where the deficit got up to over $3 trillion. We're still having a, a deficit of about a trillion and a half, I think, is what it's going to be expected this year, which is a half a trillion dollars more than it was in 2019. And it's been going out of control. So what I thought I would talk about is they keep talking about the 14th Amendment. And I'm hearing this more and more often this year than other years. And so I went into it and I thought, ah, we should know what that means. What what does he mean he should use the 14th Amendment? I'm not really sure that's the correct, I don't know, application because the amendment is the amendment. I, I suppose what it means is that he's asking President Biden to um, – not negotiate on the basis of the 14th Amendment, but then Fetterman, who does have trouble uh, speaking, of course, he starts throwing in the Supreme Court, the unelected Supreme Court. That's the political thing. Is, well, yes, the court is unelected. They'll have to decide the definition of the 14th Amendment, and that might be where this is going. 14th Amendment, there's many clauses that deal with uh, citizenship, due process, uh, equal protection under the law. There's several sections, but the part that's relevant is Section 4, and it says this. It says, the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, uh, shall not be questioned. Um, with the idea, the specific wording there that says, hey, pay your debts. If we have debt, we're not going to question it, meaning that uh, I'm not sure what the original idea was except to say that we're not going to have an argument about whether or not we owe money if we owe it. We just owe it. We have to pay it. That if we're going to go into debt, if we're going to bring into debt, you've got to pay it. And that makes sense, right? If you go out and you get a car and you get a car loan, you need to make your payment. You need to make your payment on time. And if you don't, it's going to hurt your credit. That's the way the system works. And in a similar way, that's how the federal government system works, right? If we default, if we don't make the debt payments, it's going to harm our credit, and it'll it'll affect everybody. Uh, it is a it will it will affect every one of us. That's why I don't think they're actually going to go there. But they may be trying to push the Supreme Court to make a decision about this. The interesting thing is that it's all interpretation because yes, you have to pay your debts. So if you owe a car payment, you've got to pay it. And so the president is saying, look, we owe the money, we got to pay it, whether we like the national debt or not. The Republicans are saying you can pay it or you can cut spending. You know, for example, if you can't afford to make your car payments, you can sell the car. You can get rid of the – there are things that you can do. You can sell the car. You can get another job. You can do other things to you – know, you can cut your personal expenses. You can cut your cable bill. You can cut your cell phone bill. You know, there are things to do. So the interesting thing is that the federal debt ceiling, when you hear this argument, the reason I'm telling you these things too is I think we all want to understand it. I want to understand it. So I'll just pass along to you what I've learned with that. I think though – 
especially when there are sides to things, it's important to understand where both sides are coming from on an issue. I think that that matters. It matters in our conversations with people that we have who they, you may not realize it, but if you're a believer and you're having a conversation about the debt ceiling with somebody in your workplace who does not know the Lord, there's a part of your testimony that's involved. And part of it is just trying to be accurate. It doesn't mean you always have to be right, but it means be humble about it. And, you know, this is something that would affect everybody if they don't solve it. So Congress has to pay its debts. Absolutely, they have to. The president would be right about money we already owe. Uh, However, he's wrong about uh, the idea that there isn't another way to do it, and that's cut. The 14th Amendment requires us to pay debts that we owe. It doesn't require us to not make cuts. So it's going to be very interesting because the the 14th Amendment, if it goes to the court, uh, it doesn't explicitly require the increase of a debt limit or mandate budget cuts. It doesn't require either one. It just requires that debts get paid whether you agree with the debt or not. Uh, It just says that public debt is valid. It's got to get paid. Don't question it. And so it's an interesting argument that they're going to have. But at the end of the day, I think they're going to they're going to pay it. We've had the same argument. You're going to you know, they're going to do something. The president will give a little. The Republicans will get a little. Both people will go out and proclaim victory over the other party and and uh, make their comments and different things. You know, it is I just wish they would have this conversation openly. I wish that the president, and it can be any president and any Congress, would have the type of leadership where they could come out and explain the issue to the American people without making a bunch of grandstanding statements about the other side doesn't want to feed people, uh, the other side just wants to uh, bury us. You know, they might actually feel those things, but it's not productive. What would be productive is helping the American people understand what is the consequence of debt. And that is where we're at. The U.S. National Debt Clock. You want to go see a, a scary website? Go to uh, usdebtclock.org. And you see all of the debt. At this very moment, the United States national debt is $31,790,000,000. I got so big, I have to think about the numbers. 975700000 uh Now it's 800000 This is how much we're going into debt, just as I'm talking. It's now $900,000 in debt. And uh, coming up on another $100,000 in debt. $100,000 in debt. Uh, $300,000 in debt since I just started reading that number. What's a, what is that, Wilbert? Like uh, 30 seconds. That's how much. You personally owe $94,952. If we divided up the national debt per American citizen, including your babies, including your 100-year-old grandma, everybody owes and, or $94,952, and uh, that will be going up. And that's per citizen, not taxpayer. Taxpayer is $248,041. That's how much you owe. See, you got to cut the spending eventually. You have, uh, you know, where are we at now? We're up several hundred thousand dollars, millions of dollars actually now since we started talking about this, this. Wouldn't you like to make that kind of money? Just uh, how do you even spend that kind of money? It's hard. We can't even get our brain around it. And by the way, the U.S. federal debt to our gross uh, domestic product is at 120%, meaning that we owe more money than we actually make as a country. That's That's got to be dealt with. So pray for our leaders as you see them argue, and there's the politics and there's the blame game. Frankly, they're all to blame. This has been going on for, you know, in an outrageous way for 23 years. 
uh, longer than that, but the outrageous stuff is the last 23 years. And there's times where you got to spend money. That's the scary thing about debt. Maybe we had to spend all that money with the COVID. We certainly had to spend money in the after 9-11 and the wars, and people can debate how long those went on. And most of the debt, by the way, is not the wars. I keep hearing that. Oh, it's the defense spending. No, that's nothing. It's like $1.2 trillion or something that cost. I mean, that's not not nothing, but $32 trillion is what we owe. It's hardly anything. Uh, we're not responsible. In responsible times, when you go to war, you uh, you cut other things so that you don't go into debt that badly. This is one of the reasons you pray for the leaders, not just the ones you like and vote for. You pray for them. And you pray that they take a look at the direction of the country and that they change their mind, that they work together, that they cooperate. That's something I'm praying for, that our leaders cooperate, that we stop having stupid arguments about the debt, that we actually get our fiscal house in order because it will catch up to us. The good news is is the fiscal house of the kingdom of God is always in order. The fiscal house of God and what he's doing, it's not going to be thwarted, and we will always be taken care of and always have hope. And that's what we preach here. And whatever happens in Washington, one way or the other, it's it's not something that's surprising to the Lord. It's part of his plan. It doesn't thwart his plan. We need to do our part. Pray for our leaders. Have good responsibility, even in our own household, and uh, move forward in the joy of Christ. All right, we're done for today. You can get the podcast at kkla.com or wherever you get your podcast. I'll be back tomorrow from 3 to 5 on the Pastor Scott Show. God bless. Have a good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.